Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Vynamic, Trending Health features industry guests and panelists who explore topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Mindy McGrath, Vynamic's healthcare industry advisor. Organizations around the world are actively pursuing research, experimentation, and innovating on global health issues. And today, we wanted to introduce two affiliated health organizations that are working on these things, Innovations in Healthcare and their partner, Duke Global Health Innovation Center. And to help us dive into this topic, friend of Vynamic, Lisa Bourget, Senior Director of Strategy Management and Partnerships, is helping us to discuss some of the interesting initiatives and innovations that are emerging in healthcare systems globally. Hey, Lisa, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to have this conversation. Can you tell me a little bit about um, the partnership between innovations in healthcare and the Duke Global Health Institute and how it works together and what some of the focus is around this affiliation? Sure. It's a good question, and um, I think hopefully it'll provide some context for the rest of the conversation. So, um, Innovations in Healthcare is a nonprofit that the World Economic Forum, Duke Health, and McKinsey founded about eight years ago, and its aim um, is to study, source, strengthen, um, and scale innovators around the world, sort of one innovator at a time. So its its mission is to um, find the best innovations, help scale them, um, help basically promote more of that goodness to other locations, um, help study why, you know, why they're successful, why they fail, um, to really strengthen the field overall. Um, so innovations in healthcare is sort of like the entrepreneurial or effector arm of the global health work that we do through the Duke Global Health Innovation Center. So they're they're very symbiotic organizations. In fact, you know, I help co-lead both of them. Um, and so I think maybe the simplest way to think about this is um, we have similar missions um, and the fact that we have an innovator network um, connected to an academic center just really allows us to be more, have our finger more on the pulse of what's happening um, or what innovators face so that we can inform um, the programmatic efforts that we do on behalf of USAID or Gates, um, more tangible, but also as we're helping to build capacity in other academic institutions around the world, you know, it gives us a bird's eye view. So um, I think the fact that we have two organizations is always confusing to people, but um, it does uniquely position us because we, we know the innovator point of view pretty well, because we have 92 innovators. We know the health system point of view because we operate within one and we are also doing a lot of capacity building work with other health systems um, around the world. And we also know um, or have a point of view and perspective in terms of what funders um, who have uh, an aim to help improve global health are looking for too. And we're able to sort of put that together in a unique way. You mentioned scaling, um, and I'm interested, when you talk about scaling healthcare innovation, like, what do you see um, some of the applications of that are? 
So by scaling, um, I mean um, implementing a solution um, to more locations that need it. So let me sort of come back to we we want to find innovators and innovations that help you know improve quality, reduce cost, or or improve access. Um, that's that's the aim. Uh, and if it can do more, you know, two of those things or three of those things, even better. So the ideal sweet spot for um, the work that we do is innovations that have um, that have proven themselves in in a location, let's say, or in a in a client context. So they're they're ready to grow. They they're not an idea. They're post revenue growth stage, and really the the team behind the innovation is trying to think about, you know, how do I, how do I put this innovation um, in the hands of more people who need it? Um, so scale in that context is, is growth, but it's, it's strategic, it's targeted growth. So if my, if my mission is to, um, again, going back to quality cost access is to help move the needle in a positive direction um, on one of those things, which, you know, also needs to happen in the U.S. too. Mm -hmm. um, I need to be really strategic about where do I turn my attention next. So to give you an example, and, and again, scaling is important in the U.S. too. Um, there are lots of entrepreneurs, innovators in the U.S. that are trying to pilot or prototype, you know, uh, a new product. Um, but also, I also want us to think in terms of this conversation, when we're talking about innovation, sometimes we're talking about policy innovation mm -hmm. or financing innovation or service model innovation or training innovation. So it's not always a thing that's the innovation. Sometimes it's just a new way of doing something that leads to better quality access and cost. That's such a great point to make because I think you're right. Like when people talk about innovation, the natural tendency is to think product. Um, but I appreciate the, the clarification and the idea of bringing policy and influence on policy into this. There must be no shortage of interesting and thoughtful ideas. Can you talk to me a little bit about innovators and maybe some examples of some of the projects that are currently going on? Sure. So just to clarify, we have um, 92 innovators in our network that okay. operate, I think, in over 60 countries. Um, so, um, yeah, to give you a few examples, so I'll, I'll give you, I think, some maybe recent examples and, and maybe some older examples, or I should say veteran examples. Um, so... Um, one of our innovators um, that's been in our network for a while is called Bodhi Health. Um, they're based in India, and their their innovation is training um, health workers. Um, and so this has evolved over time. Um, so again, in low and middle income countries, access is very much a function of um, skilled healthcare workers. There's there's typically not enough you know, physicians, nurses, community health workers. Um, and if there is enough, they're typically in urban areas. Um, and so training training is on the critical path uh, in terms of, of uh, you know, 
if you can address the supply of skilled workers, that goes a long way in, in helping um, improve primary care, specialty care, et cetera. So Bodhi's innovation, um, like I said, has evolved over time, but they're essentially um, um, trying to deliver content to health workers um, and increasingly to nurses as well, but doing it in a gamified way, making it fun, not making it boring and, and delivering um, what needs to happen, uh, you know, in a context of a patient encounter, you know, as efficiently as possible. Um, so that's sort of an example of an innovation. And also, again, highlights it's not a product. Um, I mean, it's 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 sort of addressing a different type of of need. Um, another innovator that's been in our network for a while, um, Nora Health, um, is tapping into sort of a. I think uh, an un underutilized, I would say, unofficial um, healthcare worker workforce, and that's families. Um, so um, they started in India. Um, the thesis of their innovation is um, upon discharge from a hospital. Um, we all have had experience in the U.S. certainly in getting, you know many, many pages of discharge instructions. And, you know, usually if you're a family member, you're so overwhelmed with what's happening to your loved one, you get these instructions and you kind of listen and read them, um, but it, it does feel overwhelming. Well, imagine if you can't read or write. Um, when you're, you go home with your loved one and you're charged with making sure that they recover, um, if you don't know and can't refer back to the discharge instructions or what to do, then chances are right they're either not going to get better or they're going to end up back in the hospital. And so they their innovation is um, uh, using simple pictures and diagrams for what to do. Um, again, sort of really it goes beyond that, but it, but it really is tapping into, um, if you get family members are the most motivated healthcare workers, they're unofficial, um, and they're sort of shadow, but, but if you can engage them in a way, um, to make the most of the, of the recovery period, then, you know, you, you, you help again, back to that quality cost access issue. Um, another more recent example, of an innovation um, that we're working with, and also is probably a good um, sort of definition or an example of scale, is um, TNH. They are uh, an innovator based in Brazil. They, they joined our network last year. Um, they are a chatbot, um, and they've been deploying their chatbot um, in a mental health, for primary care, mental health, um, and maternal um, health. Um, and again, they're trying to solve an access um, issue. They're not trying to replace human interaction or um, license mental health providers or primary care providers, but they're, they're trying to widen the base of um, um, individuals uh, that a chatbot could communicate with to identify who might be, you know, who who might be in need of follow-up with a licensed professional. Um, and so, you know, many people um, in a primary care setting or a mental health setting, right? They they don't they don't even know where to go. Um, and uh, they are trying to scale now in the U.S., and we're helping them do that. So they, they have proven out this model in, in many locations, and now we're trying to sort of apply that to the U.S.
Wow, these projects are so fascinating, Lisa. And as you were talking through them, I was thinking to myself, how do you think this applies, these these projects or these innovators could be, innovations could be adopted by the U.S. healthcare system? Hmm, That's a great question. And it's actually something that um, in really each of these cases, or at least in two of the three that I just mentioned, right, are things that are um, being contemplated or being implemented. So um, I think Nora Health um, has definite applicability in the U.S. Um, so, you know, even though what I described, um, you know, it, it has been designed for the Indian context, um, right, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of people in the U.S. who are illiterate, um, but but even again, those that are literate, as I mentioned, right, family members are so overwhelmed. Uh, I know, you know, in the few situations that I've been uh, the caretaker um, at discharge with a family member, right, and I'm in this industry, I, I'm so emotional about what's happening that, you know, sort of having diagrams or pictures, I think, could really sort of simplify um sort of what I'm supposed to do or what do I do if if um, something is, you know, not, I'm, I'm not sure about something. So I think that has a, a lot of application. Um, and again, I think since U.S. hospitals are so motivated right now to reduce readmissions, I think, again, we're talking about such a low-tech way of doing this that I think has a lot of applicability and, and they actually are working um, within the U.S. to do that. Um, uh, I think gamification of training, um, I think, is also has applicability. I mean, again, I think certainly there are access issues in the U.S. in rural areas, but I, I might pivot the the context of, um, you know, Bodhi's trying to gamify um, training to to sort of both increase the number of skilled healthcare workers, but also increase the skill level of existing health workers. And so I think that, you know, I think any health system um, in the U.S. has need to do that. And I think if there's a way to do that in sort of a gamified, fun way, as opposed to the sort of way that CME or CNE or any kind of training, required training is delivered today, right, I think there's applicability um, um, there. And then, of course, with the chatbot, I think there's a lot of applicability. I mean, again, I think mo- everyone's talking about population health. Also, people are talking a lot about how underdiagnosed mental health is and how, you know, if you don't, if you're, if you're not aware within large populations um, of, um, you know, people's mental health, and it goes, you know, untreated, that can, you know, fester and become um, really costly, of course, to the individual, but um, also, you know, costly and detrimental to the system at large. It's fascinating, um, the variety of, of projects or innovations that you're talking about. And I'm curious, can you just, for our listeners, can you help me understand a little bit when you say that innovations in healthcare is helping them um, scale what they're doing? Like, do you play a, a different role in each one of these projects, or do you kind of have a consistent methodology for how you help these innovators actually, you know, take their idea and, and promote it? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So uh, yes and no. I mean, so context 
matter. So every innovator that we work with, right, has a different innovation. Is it a different stage in their journey? So obviously what we do for them is a little bit different, but, but I guess what is consistent? So we, the support that we provide is not financial. So again, our thesis is, you know, money is certainly critical to an innovator's journey, but it's typically not um, the, the most, it, it, usually connections and access to um, the right um, advice, mentorship, connection with other innovators that, that have gone through a similar experience, right? Those, those are the things that we provide. So um, in the three examples that I gave, you know, we, so again, we don't, we don't invest money in the innovators. We, we hope to connect them to investors or funders or strategic partners, um, you know, who could be corporations, um, you know, to these innovators. Cause again, it's there's sort of a David and Goliath, um, dynamic happening here is, um, you know, very small innovators trying to crack into um, a health system. And so they, they need some help to do that. And that's really what, where we come in is we, we try and provide that connectivity or that mentorship. But again, a lot of what we do is just connect them to our other innovators because they, they've been, you know, they may be working on scaling a different innovation, but they've had the same challenge trying to get the attention of a ministry of health or, to keep and sustain a team, um, you know, when there's so much uncertainty. So that has proven to be really, really um, helpful. And that's not something, you know, we facilitate that connection, but but that's really peer-to-peer. You talk about the, the support that you give to innovators. Are you also um, connecting with, you know, um, global healthcare systems and, and helping them identify where innovators where they might have opportunity to actually tap into innovators that are in your network? Yeah, no, yes. And I would also say more broadly, it's not just health systems. Yeah. It's it's ministries, it's corporations. Um, so, you know, we uh, we have strategic partnerships with some with some other um, biopharmaceutical companies who are interested in, you know, uh, listening or hearing about the innovations that we work with as, um, again, not, uh, not as things that they can directly implement themselves, but, um, as they increasingly, you know, think less about selling product, um, to their health systems and more as like being a solutions provider, um, being involved um, and being connected to innovation is important to them. So in the case of a health system, both domestically and um, outside of the U.S., right, this is also increasingly becoming something that health systems are asking about um, and and fostering either within themselves uh, as well as um, looking outside too. So um, many U.S. health systems are looking to low and middle income countries for these sources of inspiration. Um, because, um, again, even though I, I've, I, hopefully I, I keep sort of mentoring culture and context are important. Um, there can be a lot of valuable lessons, um, that can, can be learned. So again, the innovations, the, the three innovations that I mentioned earlier in the right way can be translated into, 
almost any environment. Um, uh, obviously, there's language differences, there's culture differences, but um, you know, I think any health system could be could um, benefit um, from hearing and learning about what's happening in in low and middle income countries, and 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 just really where, what what's happening in in terms of innovation anywhere just um either because you're going to directly take that innovation and pilot it and implement it in your health system um maybe not exact cut and paste um or it could be more indirectly that it again it's that source of inspiration that inspires your team to think a little more out of the box about a challenge that you come up, you end up coming up with, but maybe wouldn't have come up with if you didn't have a couple of use cases that were inspired by, by some of these stories. So Lisa, I'm curious, how do you actually connect with innovators and keep that that pulse point alive that you just mentioned? Yeah, um, so most of our interaction is virtual. Um, just because of the, you know, the time zone, you know, just because of where everybody is located. Um, so, I mean, obviously with, you know, Zoom and video conferencing, virtual is, you know, increasingly becoming more, um, you feel like you're more there with someone. Once a year, we have an annual event called the Annual Forum in D.C., and it's um, really uh, I wouldn't say the only time that we are physically face to face with with um, innovators. We we may be doing that. You know, if if I'm traveling on a project in India, I I will probably see a few innovators. But our the nice thing about our annual forum is it's I kind of think of it like a family reunion in a, in a way. It's it's the one time where we bring um, our whole community together and our community includes, you know, our team, it includes our innovators, it includes our partners, our members like Dynamic. Um, and it's, you know, the, the, the goodness of the annual forum is that, again, it, it brings the innovators together. Um, it brings the innovators in contact with corporations and foundations and maybe even other academic um, faculty who will, you know, and, and, and those meetings will spawn partnerships or, or um, working relationships. Our annual forum is also um, an opportunity to introduce the newest mem the newest innovators into our community and to help provide a platform for them and all of our veteran innovators to meet, um, meet hopefully sources of funding, sources of strategic partnership. I wanted to just thank you for taking the time to join us today on Trending Health and for just sharing with us um, all this information about some of these important initiatives that you are um, helping to, to scale and helping to improve That was a great conversation with Lisa Bourget. And to recap what we heard from Lisa and discuss the topic further, I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Hummel, our provider sector advisor. Hello, everybody. And Dynamic colleague, Megan Malouk. Hi there. How are you guys today? I'm doing great. How are you all? Good. So let's dive into this. You know, we talk a lot about innovation that's occurring in the healthcare system, 
I thought it was really interesting to learn more about innovations in healthcare and the work that they're doing to connect these post-revenue growth uh, stage innovators in order to build capacity both globally and locally. Um, I want to jump into their positioning a little bit uh, because when you, you know, Lisa talked about the fact that they are an innovation arm, right? They are connected to an academic research center, but they're also connecting with foundations and policy houses and corporations. So Ryan, I know you have some intimate knowledge of them. Tell me a little bit about your perspective on what makes their unique, their model so unique. Yeah, thanks, Mindy. I think you mentioned the word connection several times in their description, and I think there's really no better apt describer of what they do. You know, they have this big powerhouse uh, center in the in the Duke health realm, and that includes the Duke School of Medicine, the Clinical Re Research Institute, which, by the way, is the largest institute in the world, um, along with the medical school, the School of Nursing, and then the hospitals and health systems themselves. So if you start there and you understand that they have access to all of that information, both in and out. And then you put the Innovations in Healthcare group in the middle of that and how they're able to study and support and scale global health on a massive level. And they've connected with well over 90 innovators across the world in kind of bridging the gap of all this great stuff that's happening in countries that we don't talk about every day and problems that we don't speak of very often and bringing them to the forefront and in a way to maybe reverse engineer them back into the U.S. or even just give us knowledge and awareness of what's going on. And you put that all together in this kind of great way and their vision, their mission, and the way that they have curated this network of innovators is pretty, pretty astounding. Yeah, it was interesting to me when, when she was talking about all of the different innovators and some of the work that they're doing. I mean, Clearly, there is um, a lot of activity going on in the global health re realm. And I know, Megan, this is a real passion for you. Um, so when we kind of pull this out a little bit and talk about global health in general, what's your take on some of the, the activity that's going on in global health and some of the things that are being addressed? What I think we're seeing, not just here in the U.S., but across the world and, and coming to realize more and more is that healthcare is just one piece of the puzzle. And so addressing someone's healthcare need needs to be more than, than that. It needs to be about um, you know, all types of access, right? Whether that is financial access, whether that's physically getting to a clinic or someone bringing healthcare to you through a community healthcare worker system. There are many components and elements where there can be gaps in the system. And it's not just about providing care. It's about thinking about the entire person and the environment that they're in. So Megan, that was such an interesting point that you make about looking at the whole person and looking beyond just the the aspect of healthcare. Can you give me some examples of some of the things that you're seeing around, like maybe specific areas that that global health initiatives are trying to address? Sure. Um, so for one example, um, you know, I know I have experience in in Kenya, um, and school age girls in middle school tend to um, leave school and not come back. So, you know, they might get through sixth, seventh, eighth grade education. Um, and you might be like, well, why is that? Like, why they should just stay in school? Why aren't they staying in school? Um, so, you know, there could be an economic reason. There could be a reason that um, their family might need them to support um, childcare. Um, a lot of times it's because um, that is 
they're going through puberty and so they are experiencing their periods for the first time, um, but they don't have the resources in order to address that. So when they have their periods, they'll stay at home for weeks at a time and um, so you sort of get into this bad pattern. And so um, one organization that I've worked with in Kenya is called Kisumu Medical and Education Trust or KMET, and um, they have developed a whole sort of business uh, around this. They train uh, women to sew reusable sanitary napkins. And then, um, so they make them available to school-age girls to try and keep them in school um, and avoid that issue around um, attrition from school. So, um, you know, on the surface level, I think what we have to think about is, you know, what an issue, we might see the first issue, you have to continue to ask why or, um, and try and get to that root cause of, of what's going on in someone's life in order to um, help them either better themselves, whether that's economically or, um, you know, in, with their health, et cetera. So um, it's multi-layered, and I think that that's something that um, some of the companies uh, that the Duke Health Innovation Center is uh, supporting with, with, the, with the innovators that they're working with is to address some of these gaps that um, you may not see on the surface when you look at the, the initial issue, um, but they're helping to address those gaps in the system to help people be healthier. Such a great point, Megan. And, you know, I'll take that a step further. And you talked about the innovations in healthcare and some of the groups and innovators are talking about, Lisa didn't mention this one group called Miracle Feet, but um, I feel like it's important and it's a really interesting connection point to what you just mentioned in a little bit of a different light. And that is, you know, one in 800 children worldwide are born with something called clubfoot. And in developed nations like the US or Europe or even other you know places around the world, it's a pretty simple fix. Uh, you get a brace or two braces on your on your feet. I mean, it's maybe not simple to mothers, but it's a simple healthcare procedure where um, children go to bed at night, put their braces on, and usually within the first two years of life, the braces go off and they live healthy, happy lives. That's just not the case in uh, countries in Africa or developing nations all around the world where um, something like 90% of the children born with this defect uh, are, live in those countries, and you are unfortunately born with that and you you have a life of poverty you are many times jobless you are homeless because there's really no cure or no opportunity and you're not able to walk uh, so there's a company called miracle feet that has developed um, organizational and technical approaches to fix this and to your point earlier it's not just about the actual brace that is much less expensive for these children to get on but it's also the financial support, the technical capabilities, and the organizational structure around that to make sure that these children's children and these children's parents are educated to utilize this very simple yet full of layers solution. And it's saving lives and it's heartwarming and it's wonderful. And these types of things that happen in countries all over the world may be different than the uh, issues that exist in the U.S., but we also have our own issues and our own gaps. And if we can kind of take this concept, and there's something like 90 to 100 innovators that the Duke Innovations in Healthcare have, and bring it back, or even facilitate it more in the other developing nations, there just seems to be such a positive momentum around it. Yeah, the ability to have transferability within the cultural context and the nuances within a country or a location um, I think is really interesting. I mean, that's what struck me as we were, were talking about this is that there is a lot of activity going on at a global level and no healthcare system is perfect. 
and no healthcare organization is perfect. Everybody is trying to get to the big three, right? Addressing things around access, quality, and cost. Um, and I think there's so many different ways that you can go at it. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about before we jumped in and like talked more specifically about the U.S. healthcare system is, can we talk a little bit about maternal health? Because that is something that also um, came up in in terms of the conversation with Lisa, and that is like some of the global activities around maternal health. And I know Megan, this is also another area that that you have a passion for. Yeah, so I think that um, a lot of challenges around access. So, um, for example, when I was in the highlands of Mexico there was no physician to deliver babies. So everybody sort of chipped in and the the um, the midwife would come to town maybe once a month. And so, you know, hopefully the baby comes during that small time window. Um, otherwise, it's really a community effort to ensure a safe delivery. Um, and so it's really a network of people that, you know, one model that I've seen v that be very successful is creating a network of community health workers in order to support women in um, remote places and, um, and also to be able to have um, neonatal care for infants and for mothers. So you'll hear um, challenges around managing fistulas, um, which can be deadly. Um, you hear challenges around helping babies who you know, in the U.S. you would um, put in the NICU, but helping to pro providing training, not just to, um, not just to who we might train in the U.S., but also it's really, it's really community and family effort around ensuring safe, um, safe care for, for mothers and babies. Yeah, I think that's such a, a great point, Megan, and I know you have kind of the the knowledge and passion around maternal health, but Duke Innovations of Healthcare works with a company called LifeSpring and LifeSpring Hospitals, and it's similar. You know, I, I unfortunately can't go into the details of all of it, but it's really just connecting people to the family members to help them understand what goes into childbirth and how they, as family members, fathers, father-in-laws, cousins, can really help facilitate the process so it's a family process and not just this mother on her own independently. So it's a really great point. And I, I think we can foster this in many different ways and help facilitate this here as well. Mm -hmm. I, and, you know, we see challenges around this. Um, maternal mortality rates in Philadelphia are some of the highest in the country. Um, and it's a real struggle for especially our community hospitals where they're in catchments um, and helping to educate patients and caregivers around how, um, how do you see signs um, and how can you, you know, sort of help prevent and ensure the health of the mother. You also see um, infant deaths are a big issue. And so how do you um, encourage safe sleep and how do you um, help patients, help mothers, new mothers know when an issue is actually an issue and not just normal course of, you know, an infant. And so um, providing, providing instructions, providing instructions in a, um, in a way that um, also meets someone where they are in terms of literacy, English literacy, whether they are speak English as a second language, don't speak English at all, or they um, haven't become literate through our education system here in the U.S. There are other ways that we need to provide information to people um, so that it's digestible and usable by them. And that's one of the things that Lisa spoke about, right? And one of the innovators that she touched on is trying to simplify um, the idea of not only patient discharge, but if you think about that 
in general, and I'm, I am going to bring it back to the United States, but you think about literacy is an issue across the world. It's it's not just isolated to global countries. I and mean, we have a real health literacy issue here in the United States. And think about how complex things like explanation of benefits can be and the overwhelming feeling that people have when somebody's been in the hospital and they have to take all these data points then and figure out what they do when they take their loved one home. I think there's a real opportunity in the United States for health systems to be able to um, start to look at some of the, the things that are being trialed globally around health literacy and see how they might fit contextually in, in their organization. Point. Mindy, it's a really key point about the literacy rate. And I think it's something to maybe expose during this podcast that you know, the U.S. ranks 28th out of 214 countries in literacy, uh, and we're at a 99% rate. So when you read that in a stat sheet or you're reading through a book, you're like, oh, we're good, 99%. But 1% of several hundred million is several million. And so in many of those folks um, are having, you know, raising families just like you and me. And I think it's really important to recognize that, address that, and to Megan's point, meet them where they are. So let's talk about the big three, actually, because, Megan, you mentioned access. Um, we haven't talked about quality and cost very much, but they're universally some of the biggest challenges that all healthcare systems face. Um, I think there seems to be some belief that the U.S. healthcare system is actively looking at middle and low-income countries for sources of inspiration for innovation. And I was a bit surprised and found it interesting to hear that. Um, I'm curious, like you guys are in this field, do you think that's really happening? Or to what extent do you think the U.S. healthcare system is really kind of reaching out and trying to understand what's going on globally that could actually be adopted here in the U.S.? Well, I can tell you anecdotally what I've seen, and I think that the intention is there and the belief that we should be taking some of these innovative ideas and putting them through testing and piloting in the health system is there. I don't know if we have a way to organize and operationalize these, though, and I think that there's a great opportunity there. You know, we, we see our friends in life sciences have incubator and labs of putting things through. I think there is great momentum in the health system space, but I think more has to be done. And groups and companies like the Innovations in Healthcare through Duke Health is one way to, to facilitate this. But I think a lot more needs to be done in the world. Just these some of these examples that we just referenced and talked about, you know, Megan referenced the same issues happening in our backyard. Some of these ideas really could be operationalized and brought to the market. Yeah, I agree. I think that there are certainly opportunities for health systems within the United States to be applying some of these innovations in their own systems and in their own communities. Um, I'm not sure whether or not that's actually happening, but I do hope that that is. Um, and I think it gets to some of the priorities that the HHS has had recently um, around addressing social determinants of health. And I think this goes back to what we started uh, started the podcast off with in our conversation uh, related to um, you know, you have to peel back the layers and there's more to someone's health issue than, than what's right in front of us. And um, we have to support them and meet them where they are. So um, I do hope that health systems are, are taking in, in some of these ideas and, um, and fostering them and, and carrying them forward um, and seeing how, how they work. Um, and whether they do or not, you know, they can hopefully improve some lives that way as well. Great, really good point. And I think, um, to that extent, I mean, there's just so many activities going on, and this was such a great conversation with Lisa to just kind of tee up um, just a small sliver, right, of innovations that are occurring globally and locally. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. 
for links to resources discussed in this episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health Podcast, and to explore if Binamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit TrendingHealth.com. Tune in to the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.